All right, let's open our Bibles again to Genesis 19. I titled the message this evening, Delivering Mercy. Tonight I want us to see, first of all, our need of God's mercy. And then I want us to see how sure God's salvation is because of God's mercy. If the Lord will be pleased to show us those two things, we're going to leave here tonight rejoicing, thankful to be a mercy beggar. Genesis 19 is a dark, dark chapter. It uh, uncomfortably displays how despicable our sin nature is. It's uh, no holes barred displaying the, the wretchedness of our nature. But that's a good backdrop, isn't it? To display the glories of God's mercy. It's like the jeweler putting his diamond on that black black velvet uh, cloth to, so you can see the, the glory and beauty of the diamond. Man's nature is on display here. Black, vile, wretched, so that we might see the glory of God's mercy, His delivering mercy. Now the first thing I want us to see is this. All mankind is in need of God's mercy. Verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my Lord, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him, and he entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. Now, Lot had been living in this city for some time. He knew how sinful the people were in broad daylight. And he knew how it got a lot worse at night. And that's why he pressed these men to stay with him. He said, you come in, you stay with me tonight, you stay in here all night, and now you get up early tomorrow morning and get out of here before anybody sees you, before anybody knows, is awake and sees that you're there. In verse 4, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, and both old and young, all the people from every quarter. Now all the people are caught up in the sin of this city. They're young men and old men, rich men, poor men, men from every quarter. From what we would call good neighborhoods, what we call bad neighborhoods, everybody was there surrounding Lot's house. In verse 5, they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And that word know, they don't want to just meet them. They don't want to make their queens. That word know is the same word a husband knowing his wife. The men of the city wanted to, wanted to rape these men that came and were visitors in their city. So not only is this homosexuality, it's, it's violence. It's just violence, it's meanness. In verse 6, Lot went out of the, at the door unto them and shut the door after him. And he said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. 
Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. I'm the father of two daughters. I don't even know what to say about this. I mean, I read everything I could read on it. I don't even know what to say. There is absolutely no justification whatsoever for what Lot did here. He's going to give his daughters to this mob to spare these two men. I mean, what a horrible father. I mean, can you imagine? What a horrible man, just a horrible human being. I mean, who thinks this way? You know, some of the writers uh, suggest, well, maybe Lot thought prostitution wasn't as bad as homosexuality. But brother, sin is sin. And there's no excuse for it. There's just no excuse for Lot offering something so just so horrible. In verse 9, they said, the men of the city said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now we will deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. Here's what the men of the city are saying. Lot, you, you, you moved here just a few years ago. I mean, you weren't born and raised here. You, you sojourned here. You came here. And now for this short time, you want to be the judge of us? <laughs> We're going to do what we want. We're going to do worse to you. We are, are to them. and just the violence of this thing. In verse 10, the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Now these angels, they saved Lot's bacon. These men would have killed him if the angels hadn't pulled him into the house. And then they struck all those men out there with blindness. And even in their blindness, they didn't quit. They were so bloodthirsty, they just they wearied themselves to try to find the door. They wouldn't quit. <laughs> they just wanted to get their hands on these men. Now, I said all that because I wanted us to see the, the details of what's going on here in Sodom. Because Sodom, the nature of the people in Sodom, is a picture of all men by nature. You and I today have the same vile, sinful nature that the people of Sodom had all those years ago. You and I are just as sinful as those people of Sodom. We have no reason we can look down our nose at them. Now, homosexuality is what we normally associate with, with Sodom. And homosexuality is wrong. I mean, I just make no bones about it. I will not try to be politically correct about this thing at all. We have to tell the truth. Now, this is wrong. It's homosexuality is a sin. Living in that is wrong. But their sin is not worse than our sin. Their nature is not worse than my nature or your nature. When, when Scripture talks about homosexuality, this is why this, this particular sin is used in, in Scripture. It's used as a picture of false religion. It's always used as a picture of religion without Christ. You know, a homosexual relationship, you can, that, that, that relationship can exist, but that relationship cannot produce life. 
It's utterly impossible. Now, like the, the relationship of a husband and a wife can, the union of a husband and wife can produce children, not homosexuality. And that's a picture of false religion. You can go about all the activity of false religion you want. You can have a relationship with it if you want, but it's not going to produce life. It's not it, Life can only be had through union with Christ. Life can only be given by the, the gospel being preached and God taking his word as the seed that gives life and planting it in the hearts of his people. Well, that doesn't happen in false religion. They don't preach the word. They don't preach the truth, so there can't be any life. That is the purpose of homosexuality. It's, it's not to say that homosexuality is the greatest sin. You know, it's, a, it's a picture of false religion. It's given to show us unbelief is the worst sin. I mean, if you want to count, I don't know if you can, it's even right to actually quantify that, you know, but I'm sure this is true. Unbelief is the greatest sin. Here's why I say that. The only reason somebody will be damned is unbelief. Every other sin would be forgiven. Unbelief is what absolute refusal to believe on and trust in Christ. That's the sin that damns people. And you know, because of our sin nature, just like these men were struck blind, we're blind by nature, aren't we? Spiritually. So we can't see Christ. We can't see the way of life. We can't see that the way of salvation comes not by our works, but through faith in Christ. We can't see that. So we work so hard in this is spinning our wheels in this thing of false religion. We weary ourselves with all this work, but we're not clean. We're not righteous. We don't have any life. Righteousness can only come by faith in Christ. Righteousness can never come by our works and we're blind and we can't see it. And we weary ourselves and by our works we never find salvation. We never find life. We never find Christ. We're as wretched and vile as these people of Sodom. And we deserve to be destroyed. I bet every person here would say, I absolutely see why God would destroy the people of Sodom. They deserved it. But unless God has done a work of grace in our hearts, we'd be mighty slow to say, I do too. We'd be mighty slow to say it. We deserve to be destroyed because of our sin. And the only reason any son of Adam will not be destroyed is God's delivering mercy. And that's why my first point is this. I don't care who we are. All of mankind is in desperate need of God's mercy. All right, number two. We know all mankind needs mercy. But you know, believers are in constant need of God's mercy. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. We read this, this account of Lot, but now let's, let's read uh, what Peter has to say about him in the New Testament. 2 Peter 2, verse 3. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. God's going to deal with them. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, 
and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man, dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth, how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now, based on this account, we know for sure, there's no doubt, Lot was a believer. Peter, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us two examples, objects of God's mercy, that God delivered in the midst of his judgment and justice. Noah was delivered from the flood in the ark. Lot was delivered from Sodom because God delivered him. Now everybody here knows Noah acted in faith when he built an ark. Everybody knows that. That was an act of faith, wasn't it? Noah is a preacher of righteousness. While he was building that ark, he was telling people what he was doing and why he was doing it. And by his example of faith, he was a preacher of righteousness, saying there's salvation in this ark. There's salvation in Christ. We can all see that in Noah, can't we? I can't think of one blessed thing in Scripture that Lot did that was right. As far as I can tell, everything Lot did, every time he was at a crossroads, every time he had to make a decision, Lot went the wrong way every single time. I can't find one thing that Lot did say, yeah, a believer would do that. But he was one. He was a believer. And the only explanation for it is this. God was merciful to Lot. It's the only explanation. And every time Lot made a, a, another bad decision, God was merciful again. He kept being merciful to Lot. Lot lived his life in such a way that he fit right in with the people of Sodom. Remember when the angels first came there in Genesis 19, where did they find Lot? Sitting at the gate of the city. Now, he wasn't just out there sitting watching people go to and fro. What that means is this. Lot was a political leader in that city. He was looked on as a leader. He fit right in. And the only way Lot could fit in in that city is if he compromised. He had to compromise his religion. He had to compromise his values. He had to compromise his conduct. He had to keep his mouth shut when things he saw bothered him. That, that's the only way he could fit in with, with those people. And doing compromising like that. You think, well, you know, a lot compromised, you know, to get along. Well, all right. But in doing that, it affected him. It affected his mind to where he'd offer his daughters to that group. I mean, I saw a man do that. All right. You and me ain't buddies anymore. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just that's probably very self-righteous and judgmental on my part, but now I got a problem with that. That came about because his compromise, it, it affected his way of thinking. We need to remember that. God help us. The same thing doesn't happen to us. That we compromise with the world so much that affect our thinking like that. 
I know this that happened, because look at verse 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters? And whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. This is so sad. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Lot told his sons-in-law, Get out of this place. God's going to destroy this place. And they thought Lot was pulling a big old joke on them. Apparently, they never heard Lot talk about the Lord. They never heard Lot talk about how he trusted in the Lord. They never heard Lot talk about how, how the things of this city, the way think people are doing things, vexed his righteous soul. They never saw Lot lead his family in worship. They never saw him take his family to the public worship service. They never saw him gather his family together and lead him in prayer. Let's, let's bow before the Lord. Our God is so great. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. What they saw was Lot living like everybody else in Sodom. They didn't see any difference. Now, I'm not picking on Lot at all. Here's why I'm pointing that out. Every one of us is just as guilty as Lot. Every one of us. Think how worldly we all still are. Think how often we keep our mouth shut just to avoid trouble. We just get along, you know, to avoid trouble. I had a boss one time actually told me this. Man acted so honest and upright on Sunday. But he actually told me this. There's no place for that Monday through Saturday when you're running a business. Most dishonest man I ever met in my life. That spirit's in every one of us, isn't it? Every one of us. Believers included. Just do whatever it takes to get ahead. That's a believer. I'm talking about believers here now. This is, you know, God saves us by His grace. We're sinners saved by grace. We never rise above that, do we? And we live our lives here below in constant need of God's mercy. In constant need of forgiveness. In constant need for God to keep us by His mercy. No matter how long the believer lives, we will never ever get to the point Now I don't need God as much as I used to. You know, the the real evidence of growing in grace, it's realizing I need God more than I ever realized before. (laughs) That's growing in grace. Now listen, salvation does not depend upon our conduct. We can't earn it by our works. We can't lose it by our works. We can't keep it by our works. Salvation is by God's grace and His grace alone. Salvation is through faith in Christ without our works at any time, in any way. Paul wrote a whole book, book of Romans, to tell us that very truth. Salvation by faith without works. But that does not mean the believer's conduct is unimportant. Our conduct is very important. You think about 
the believer's conduct. Here's a person who says, I believe Christ. I love Christ. I'm publicly identifying with him, with his gospel, with who he, with, with who he is, he says in his word. Well, my conduct reflects on that Savior. I said he saved me by his grace. I say he's taken up residence in my heart. He's my king. He's my shepherd. He's my savior. Well, my conduct reflects on him. Does my conduct make anybody else want, want, want to know him? Want to come to him? Does my conduct make anybody else think? This thing might be real. <laughs> well, he's talking about that. That might be real. There might be a work in his arm. I'll tell you something else about our conduct. It makes us able to tell others about Christ and to lead them to Christ. Lot's conduct made it so he couldn't do that. His sons in law thought he was mocking. I remember Bob Coffey, my uh, mentor. Um, he was my mentor as a, as a preacher, as a teacher, as an elder, and as a father. And he told me this early on when Holly was real, real little. Bob knows children. I mean, he knows children. And this is what he told me. He said, he can pick them out. Children whose parents on Sunday say they believe the gospel. And Monday through Saturday don't live it. And their children think, there's nothing to this. This is not real. Their conduct makes it so they, they can't lead their children to Christ. Their, their children won't listen to them. They lost their credibility. Isn't that a good way to put it? They lost their credibility to, to tell others about Christ. That's what Lot did. Now, Lot didn't lose his salvation, did he? Peter described him as just Lot, as a righteous man. He didn't lose his salvation. But sadly, he was of no use. He was not useful in God's church here on earth. And that's a crying shame. It's a crying shame. The believer's conduct matters. It matters. And we won't lose our salvation, but also don't forget this. The consequences to our actions. The consequences. Consequences to this very day because of Lot's actions. And the only reason, we're the same way, we're the exact same way. And the only reason in our sin, our rebellion, in our ignorance, in our trying to turn away from Christ, and the only reason God don't let us go is God's merciful. He keeps being merciful. He keeps being merciful. He keeps being merciful. He keeps being merciful to his, his people. Never, because we finally learned to be better than somebody else. It's always because of God's saving, keeping mercy. All right, number three. God's mercy is delivering mercy. When we talk about God's mercy, brother, this means something. Verse 15. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. This is the first time the word merciful is used in the Bible. And it's delivering mercy, isn't it? 
These angels told Lot, no, we're going to destroy this city and we're going to do it right now. And Lot believed them. He believed they were going to do that. And he still lingered. Can you explain that? I can. This heart of flesh. He lingered in that place he knew was going to be destroyed. He had to linger because there was still appeal to his flesh in Sodom. Lot chose the well-watered plain and he still liked it. I mean, the well-watered plain is better than a dry mountain, isn't it? He liked being a political figure. He liked being somebody in that town. He liked the riches and the creature comforts that he accumulated in that town. Lot was a righteous man. Yet he was hesitant to give up the sinful things of this flesh and the sinful ways of this world. Even though Peter said it vexed his righteous soul every day, he still lingered. He was still hesitant to let it go. Now again, I'm not being hard on Lot. I'm just pointing this out because every honest person here will say, I'm just like him. I'm just, I've got, by God's grace, I've got a righteous nature. That vexes my soul. I've got a I've, God's given me a heart, a new heart that believes and trusts Christ completely, that loves Him, that wants Him and Him only. And the flesh, I got that nature too. It's still alive and well in me. That nature of the flesh is still drawn to this world, and this world's still sweet to that nature of flesh just as much as it ever was. And that's why we need mercy all the days of our life. Well, thank God he's rich in mercy, isn't he? And his mercy is delivering mercy. Even though Lot lingered. Even though Lot insulted the Lord by lingering. Even though there's still so much flesh and so much sin in Lot. The Lord delivered him anyway. Now that's mercy. God not giving us what we deserve by our works and by our nature because God is merciful. And the angels didn't tell Lot to leave. They said, oh, shoo on now. Run on. They laid hold on him. And it must have been with some force because they picked him up. They picked up his wife. They picked up his daughters. And they took them out of the city. I mean, did the angels fly? What did they? I don't know. But I know this. He laid hold on him. And next thing Lot knew... He and his family outside the city. That was with some force, wasn't it? Forcibly removing him and bringing him to a place of safety. That's mercy. That's God's delivering mercy. Brother Fortner calls it the violence of grace. The violence of grace. God's mercy moves people, lays hold upon them and moves them from one place to another place. In the violence of grace, God moves His people from Adam to Christ. He moves us from self to trusting in Christ. He moves us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now salvation is of the Lord. It's of the Lord's choosing. It's of the Lord's doing. It's of the Lord's application. Salvation is of the Lord. Of His mercy. You know why we're not consumed? Why are you sons of Jacob not consumed? Because the Lord's merciful. 
Look at John chapter 6. This is not the only time we read about this. Violence of grace. You know, by nature, we know this. We cannot, we will not, and we cannot come to Christ. Do you know what God does for His people? He forcibly moves us and puts us in Christ. John 6, verse 44. No man can come to me. Ain't no point in trying to talk people into walking an aisle and making a decision and telling them to do something and that's going to make them saved. Our Lord says no man can come to me. Man in the flesh does not have the ability to come to Christ. He doesn't have the capacity to. He's dead. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I'll raise him up at the last day. You know what that word draw means? It doesn't mean, well, I'm going to try to draw you down the aisle. I'm going to try to draw you to make a decision for Christ. The word means to drag. That's what it means, to drag. To drag from one place to another place. God drags His, forcibly drags His people to His Son. And when we get there, we're mighty glad. (laughs) Aren't we mighty glad? That is delivering mercy. And Lord does that for His people continually. Continually. Scripture tells us, love not the world. And we linger. Our new heart hates it. Yet somehow we find ourselves lingering. Oh, we love the gospel of God's grace. Oh, we love, we'd love to meet together with God's people and worship Him, hear His gospel preach, read His word. And our flesh is constantly trying to bring us back into captivity to the law. We're constantly trying to leave. Trying to leave Christ. Trying to turn our back on Him. And God is merciful. He constantly turns us back to Christ. See, that's why I say repentance is not a one-time thing. It's a constant thing. Lord, in His delivering mercy, constantly turning us back to Christ. And you know what? The character of God demands that he do it. Here's the fourth thing. God's mercy is the result of God's justice satisfied. Back in our text, Genesis 19, verse 17. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. And thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it's a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Isn't it a little one? Can't you overlook this little one? If I can escape there, my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also. Thou will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of that city was called Zoar. And the angel told Lot, escape to the mountain. And Lot said, oh, I don't want to leave the plain. I want to stay here in this plain. There's another little city over here. It's just a little one. Can't you just ignore this little one and let me live over here in the corner? 
And the angel said, I've accepted you concerning this. Now, that doesn't mean I've accepted your decision here in the, in the way we use the word accepted. You know what the word means, the, the, the Hebrew word? It means to bear with. It means to carry. You know what the angel's telling a lot? I'm putting up with you. I'm putting up with you. The word also means to forgive and to pardon. This is wrong, but a lot I'm forgiving you. I'm pardoning your sin. And it's because of the sacrifice of Christ. The angel told Lot, I'm going to destroy this place. Now Lot, you get out of here. You get out of here. And, I, and you'll be delivered. And the reason God showers his people with his mercy that way over and over and over and over and over again is the sacrifice of God's son. The angel said, I cannot destroy this place as long as you're in it. Lot, I can't destroy you. God cannot do wrong. He can't destroy the righteous with the wicked. <laughs> the Lord could not, even God couldn't destroy that place if it meant Lot would be destroyed in it. It wouldn't be just. He had to take him out of that place. And that's the very reason God forgives our sin over and over and over again. This is why God puts up with us over and over and over again. This is why His mercies are new every morning. Because God, the righteous judge, cannot destroy his people. Not if you already killed Christ as our substitute for our sin. He wouldn't be just to punish two people, to kill two people for the same sin. God won't do it. If he, his justice will not allow him to kill Christ for your sin and then kill you too. He can't do it. And I find that so comforting. My salvation is based both on the mercy of God and the justice of God. God's character is to be merciful. So His mercy demands my salvation and God's justice does not contradict it. God's justice also demands my salvation. Abraham asked not the judge of all the earth do right? You bet your boots he will. If Christ died for my sin, God God's justice demands my salvation. If it's right for God to save me, He will. His justice demands my salvation. If Christ died as my sacrifice. So both God's justice and His mercy demand my salvation. If I can phrase it this way, you tell you what that means. My salvation is double sure. Both the mercy and the justice of God demands. The whole character of God, every attribute of God demands the salvation of His people. Now just take a deep breath and let your heart rest. If Christ is your Savior, even God can't destroy you. He can't, His justice will not allow it. <laughs> I'll tell you another reason God could not destroy righteous Lot along with Sodom. God promised Abraham He wouldn't do it. And God can't lie. Abraham made intercession for the righteous in, in, in Sodom. And God said, all right, I won't destroy him. Look at verse uh, 27. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld. And lo, the smoke of the country went up as a smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God Remembered Abraham. He remembered his promise to Abraham. 
and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. (laughs) You see the picture here? If Christ the Savior is making intercession for you, God cannot destroy you. It would violate His covenant. It would violate His promise to His Son. Oh, there's such peace of heart here. I hope we just go home just riding on clouds of air. There's salvation for God's people. In God's mercy, His justice, and the intercession of Christ. If Christ is interceding for you, God cannot destroy you. Oh, that just that just causes me such rest. I don't know anybody more wound up tight than me. And that even just makes me relax. <laughs> Alright, here's the last thing quickly. I want you to see where mercy is found. Verse 23. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of Saul. Now mercy and salvation is found in looking to Christ. And looking to Christ simply means this. It doesn't mean seeing something with your eyes. Looking to Christ means depending upon Christ. It means trusting Christ. It means looking to Christ because we long for Him. It's looking to Christ because our desire is to be found in Him. It's to to be with Him where He is and our desire is to be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Well, Lot's wife looked back. And I always, I always wondered about it. I thought, boy, oh boy, oh boy. I know me. I'd look back. I, not because I wanted to be in Sodom. I just, what does that look like? What is, you know? Well, it's not that she, she looked back out of idle curiosity. She looked back because she longed for those things. She looked back for there because that's where she trusted. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. I quickly look at Luke chapter 17. I'll show you how this applies to you and me. Our Lord did it for us and made it plain and obvious. Luke chapter 17. Verse 26. Here's no one lot again. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man when Christ returns. They did eat and drank. They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day. They were just living their normal life, going by normal daily activities until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded, they went going but through all the daily activities of life. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now thus shall it be when the Son of Man is revealed. We're just going to be going about our everyday activities. And in that day, when Christ returns, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff's in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that's in the field, let him likewise not return back. Don't keep looking to the stuff. Don't keep looking and trusting in the things of this life. Remember Lot's wife. 
This is the warning to you and me. Look to Christ and keep looking to Him. Look to Christ and don't look back to trust in your works. Don't look back to, to the trust in the, in the ways of this world. Look to Christ and keep looking to Christ. I didn't preach this whole message on mercy and leave you with something to do. Look to Christ and keep looking to Christ. If God's been merciful to you, you will. By His mercy, you will keep looking to Christ. He'll see to it. All right. I hope that's a blessing to you. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, how we thank you for your mercy. How we thank you all through your word. You show us by picture and by statement that salvation is by mercy. By your, it's not by our works, not something we deserve, but because of your mercy. Father, how we thank you for your mercy and your grace to sinners that's accomplished in justice because of the sacrifice of Christ our Savior. Father, human language can't express our, our thanksgiving, our awe, to think that the Son of God came in the flesh to suffer and die for the likes of sinful men and women like us here tonight. So he make it right for you to be merciful and deliver us. Father, we're thankful. And oh, how I pray that you give us the faith to believe in and trust in and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, to find our joy, our happiness, our hope, our peace in him. Is in his precious name. For his glory and his sake we pray. Amen. All right, Isaac.